Hello and welcome to Conversations from the ANF podcast. In this episode, we speak to birth father Andy about his experiences of the court system, losing his daughter to adoption and the challenges of maintaining contact. Andy highlights the competitive nature of the system that led to the decision in the court for adoption and the impact on him and his family. As always, if you've experienced of adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective, personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please do get in touch through Facebook, Twitter, or you can email us at andfpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Andy, uh, a birth father um, of uh, a daughter who was adopted back in 2012 uh, at the age of three. Um, going back to the uh, start of um, the the whole event, uh, as you can say, it was uh, back in two thousand, early two thousand and ten. Um, my daughter, a good, good nine, ten months old, um, separated from my ex-partner, uh, the mother, um, and she was living in a mother and baby unit. I was in my own flat. And basically from that, um, social services were called in um, due to uh, my ex-partner's postnatal depression, um, which sort of triggered alarm bells with um, the the mother and baby unit. Um, I didn't know anything about it at the time. Um, up until a few days later, that my my daughter had actually been taken into foster care. Um, questions were asked about why. Um, then also why I hadn't been contacted. Um, to keep me updated on this. And they they explained to me the reasons why, because of the um, my ex-partner's um, depression at the time, mental health, and uh, stated that my daughter was a bit neglected in a way, um, not eating and drinking, which is a bit of a shock because even, even though my ex-partner was... Um, suffering with mental health. Um, she always put our daughter first, no matter what. Um, and she was well looked after, always well dressed. Um, fed, drank. But social services at the time basically stated to me that um, they were they were worried that she wasn't eating enough, drinking enough. She was dehydrated when they arrived, that she was hungry. Um, so on the, on this telephone call with social services on that on that day, um basically they, they they were coming out with all sorts of reasons why um they took taking my, my daughter into foster care. Um so at the time I was with my my mum. Um yeah who isn't with, with me now. She passed away in 2013. Um, but I was with my mum. Mum sort of asked me um, 
to ask that question of why haven't they contacted me or brought my daughter to me and they kept on coming back with the uh, the wrongful accusations from when I was 13 um, which I thought was a bit a bit wrong because these these accusations that I was um, accused of when I was 13 uh, were never proven there was there was nothing there there was no evidence and all all the interviews that they did to get all the evidence together never matched up um, so everything was basically dropped because there was there was just nothing there um so social services were just holding on to something that was brought up from my past so bearing in mind i was 13 at the time with these these accusations and i was 24 nearly 25 and when i became a father um that these accusations would come back at me and it, it it's frustrating because there was just nothing there for the social services to actually mm. work with um so after a few disagreements on the phone uh, i decided to ask the question again of what was my daughter doing when they arrived and he slipped up and basically said that she was sat on the floor watching TV eating some toast and juice. So I was a little bit confused. And I was like, I just don't get that. You told me that she wasn't eating the one drinking. Um, but as social services were back in 2010, no matter what you say, they, they weren't interested. And through like going into court to see my daughter um, to get contact to basically spend an hour with my daughter every week. Um, it was tough. Mm. And then when you got uh, social services just constantly going on about this one accusation from when I was 13, it was really taking a big impact on me. And I was put through quite a lot of, would you say, tests, psychological yeah. reports, and them, them sort of things that social services want you to prove to be a good father, uh, which I was quite happy to do. I was quite happy to jump through hoops to do what I possibly could to keep my daughter within the family, bring my daughter back to my side and make sure that she still had contact with her mother. Of course, yeah. Um, but because my ex-partner, the mother, um, suffered with mental health and they took my daughter away from her, her mental health dipped considerably, very fast. And it come across as social services used that to their advantage. And going through court, I think I went to about three or four different courtrooms, family courts, and spread out over the, the, the northwest. And 
I ended up at Warrington Family Court. And the judge there was disappointed that I was moving from court to court with different judges. And she she decided that she wasn't going to let this court case go. This this is hers now. And from that she she took over. So I carried on going through these tasks that they kept on coming up with. And it was a psychological report that was the hard-hitting one because I did the psychological report and I answered the questions as truthfully as I possibly can. I got the report back um, and they basically put, made me out to be like a sex pest that I could not go a day without having some type of sexual intercourse. And I was like, sat there thinking, what? How is that? And the solicitor that I was with, I, I brought it up with them and they said, oh, well, now that's basically, that's what it is. Can't do anything about it. That's what you've, you've come across to them in that report. And I was like, right, okay. Don't get that because I'm not that sort of person. And... I give it a few few weeks contacting solicitor to find out that the solicitor wasn't actually interested. She didn't like men. <laughs> it was it was the worst thing I'd ever encountered. And I just didn't understand why someone would take a case on like this if they weren't even interested. Um but it all came down to the legal aid because at the end of the day legal aid they're getting paid for it no matter what mm. they, the outcome is they're getting paid for it um so it, it was a bit of a shocker for me so i decided to hunt around and look for another solicitor who was quite willing to take take all this on i've got all my documents sent over to a new solicitor um and i highlighted so many different things that was out of context of what I actually am. And from then, I had to have a new psychological report. Um, I had to do some other reports that they wanted me to, um, to, to basically prove myself to them, just to see if there was anything malice in it. And I gave the original psychologist who did the report in the first place, the second chance to rectify it. And it turned out that the report that I had the second time was nowhere near the first one. Right. And I didn't mm. say anything different, which is very, very unusual. Um, so as I'm jumping through hoops and getting all these assessments done, um, I'm still having contact. So if I'm that type of person who was having, like, couldn't go a day without having intercourse or sexual interactions, I'm still having contact with my daughter every week, which really confused me. I didn't understand. Um, and 
even after getting a fresh report, the contact never stopped. I still was able to take her out of the, the contact centre to play areas, farms to spend that time with. And uh, going through the, the two years of in and out of court, different courts, um, even ending up at a, a crown court where you don't usually find a family mm. situation in, um, it was it was daunting having to travel all over the northwest just to fight for your for your own child, and it it was one of the most awful things I had to do, and my my parents, my mom mainly, um, because my dad is this. He'll go with whatever my mum said. So, <laughs> um, so you could say he's under the thumb in a way, but um, she was adamant that she was never going to let my daughter leave the mm. family. And she put herself up for guardianship for my daughter, which I was really, I was really happy with. And I was, I was in awe of her because she decided to do that off her own back. Um, and they were in the 50s. So, it's quite an old age for adopting yeah. a, a two to three year old. Um, but towards the end of the um, court proceedings, um, I had to sort of force my mum to pull out because um, she was going to carry on and go through, through with it and get guardianship and take it from there. Um, but I couldn't let her do that because she was diagnosed with terminal cancer um, and she was hiding cancer from the family to make sure that my daughter came back to us. Um, but I had, to, I had to step in and say, no, this isn't right. I can't put you through that. And not only that, put my daughter through that. Um, it, it's not the nicest of things. Mm. So... My mum agreed, um, and then we went into court. My my solicitor basically stated that my mum couldn't really take guardianship due to um, being terminally ill. And the judge, I think she felt very gutted about it. She hmm. came across as really upset because to... To myself, to my mum, it was the last option in a way. Yeah. Um, but it shouldn't have been the last option technically because I've done everything that I've been asked to do. I've proved myself. There was nothing in a way stopping me. And in all of this, in September uh, 2011, um, after being with my now wife, uh, since late 2010, um, she gave birth to my son. So I was also a father to my son while fighting for my daughter. Um, but because my relationship with my wife at the time was very fresh, it was like, in a way, a year old or something, um, 
they they wouldn't even consider her as a potential stepmom um, mm. for me to take full full custody. So I had to sort of. It was it was difficult because yes, me and my wife did split up for a few few weeks because I think it upset her in a way because she felt like she wasn't good enough to be a parent to my yeah two and a half year old. So it, it was difficult. And come to January twenty twelve, the decision then was made that my daughter was going to be adopted and how the judge stated it that she was she just basically apologized to me um she just says i'm i'm really sorry to have to do this um this has gone on a bit too long now it's it's taken two years to come to a decision um and I understand that you've been doing everything possible to prove yourself, but it's come to that point where we need to adopt your daughter before she's three years old. And I just sat there and I just sank in my seat thinking, I've just done everything possible to prove to you that I was a, a capable father. And... I stood up out of the blue. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to say, but I stood up and I just said, I don't agree. And I just wanted to make sure that what social services did to me with my daughter, that they weren't going to keep coming back and doing it to me over and over again. Hmm. So I stood up and I just came out and said, can you guarantee that I will not have any problems going forward with future family. And she asked the social services about it, went through all of it, couldn't get a decent answer from social services because there wasn't anything there. They had nothing to, there was no grounds to, to, to force it on me. And the judge just looked at him and said, you can't touch him. There's, there's literally nothing you can do. He hasn't done anything wrong for you to be able to be in this, to put him in this position. And I was thinking to myself, how can you say that, but then still adopt my daughter? And I yeah. just couldn't believe it. And she looked at me and she goes, if the social services come to you and they haven't got a valid reason of why, then make sure that you take it further and sue them. And I'm like, should the judge be telling me this? But at the end of the day, it's my family. I've been hurt already. I don't want to be hurt again. And it towards the end, say towards the end, I think it was about a week later, um, they went for all the technicalities of the agreements and stuff. Um, and they basically asked me outright if I'll agree to letterbox once once a year. I went, no. I said, 
no, I said, I'll keep fighting. I said, I've still got a little bit left in me. I will carry on fighting. And they went in and they come out and he goes, what would you want? That's what they're asking. What would you want from this for the adoption to go through? So I, I reeled off quite a lot of different things. Um, letterbox twice a year, photographs, reviews. Um, and my solicitor come out and I was, I was happy in a way because I was supposed to come out and said, we can do this. And um, you just need to agree to let, let your daughter, you know it's going to be the, the right thing to let your daughter go in, into adoption. And I was like, I can't bring myself to it, but mm. I knew deep down my mum was terminally ill. I know she's going to need me as a support um, and the rest of my family to support her as well. With having a, a six-month-old as well, I, I, I just said, I'll agree, but to these conditions, I'm not happy. But if the reviews are going to be good, which I was hoping for, then it might be quicker that I see my daughter than waiting till 18. So it was agreed. I was then asked if I wanted to meet the, the, the adopted parents. So I met them um, at a local um, pub, fun place for the kids, yeah. uh, fam family place. And I don't know if there's many of them left anymore, but um, yeah, the, it was like a wacky warehouse or something. I'm not quite quite sure what it was called at the time. Um, but I met them and I thought to myself, I'm going to show them that I'm not the person that I have been made out to be. Yeah. Um, and I went there uh, with my mum, who I took with me for the reason of, because she will never see my daughter again. Um, so I made that day about my the, the two women in my life at that time. That was the most precious thing. And that was my mum and my daughter. Um, my wife has now taken that role of my my mum. She's she's my go-to person. Um mm. and I spent that I spent that that day a good couple of hours at least um chatting to the adoptive parents, playing with my my daughter in in the in the wacky warehouse and God help me, I don't know how I got around half of it, but uh, I did. I did everything possible to make sure that 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 time that I had with my daughter, I, I made sure that it was memories. Um, and from that, I think it was just over four months, I received my first letter, um, which I think was just one letter for that year because because of the timing it would be a bit silly to try and get two in so it was one once for the first year and then two going going forward and the first few letters were 
they were fine. They, they give quite a lot of information. Um, even that she broke her arm um, playing playing on some skates. So it it was information that, as a father, you want to hear. Um, but after a couple of years, I asked about a review, photographs, to then be told that all that's in my agreement is letterbox twice a year. And I felt so let down, I just did not know where to go. Um. And I was, I was, I was fuming because at the time I got my son, who was born in twenty eleven. Um, my my daughter, who was born in um, twenty thirteen, and my mum passed away in twenty thirteen. And I also married my wife in 2013. So 2013 was a very eventful year. And I wanted to share photographs of my two children now with the adoptive parents to show my eldest daughter. And I wanted to have an up-to-date photograph to sort of start showing my kids. Because... As they've grown older, all they see is the last photograph that I had, which was on the day that I last saw her. Um, so as they're grown up, my eldest daughter isn't. And it was it was difficult because they keep asking questions, as kids do. Um, but as the years go on, and you want him to get a bit more information through letterbox. It wasn't getting anything better. It was basically saying the same stuff as what they stated in the in the previous letter, just adjusted a little bit. So, um, say say the first letter in the year was saying that she she liked playing football. She really enjoyed playing football. Um, she's made it into the school team, and then six months later, there's nothing even mentioned about a football like her playing football in the team it's like she's completely changed a person and I just couldn't understand how different my, my daughter could change in, in six months um, which then that started making me question things and I decided to um, start asking more questions within in my letters, instead of writing about my my children, what I've been up to, what we've done in the last six months, I I started asking questions about because she's getting she was getting to an age of like my daughter is now, makeup and stuff, yeah. um, you know, and coming down looking like a clown as as they do when when they're first starting out, and I just wanted to know if that was something that my eldest daughter wanted to do and I was asking these questions does she like to dye her hair there was there was just nothing coming back there was no questions being asked about my family her siblings nothing um and 
I wrote a letter in 20, 2022. Um, it was a letter just before the adoption week. And I, I asked quite a lot of questions in that again. And I also put in that I mentioned about me being a daddy uh, and a brother and sister. Uh, I'm really looking forward to meeting you when the time is right. And the adoption agency contacted me to state that I couldn't put that in. I couldn't say them words. What they wanted me to say was birth father, birth daddy, birth siblings. And I'm thinking, what's the difference? Yeah. I'm writing to my I'm writing to my daughter. They know that I'm her dad. But I was pulled up on them. I was like, I was shocked by it that I wasn't able to put that type of stuff in into my letter. And it was August, the end of August in 2022. I received a letter back from the adoptive parents and they used the phrase daddy, mummy, grandparents. And I'm thinking, I understand because that's what you're coming across to my daughter as. But I don't want to hear that. You're not there. Well, my daughter's mummy. You're not my daughter's daddy. I am. Not you. Why is it that I can't say that sort of thing, but they are? So I questioned it, and it, it come across as that I was, I was getting pushed to one side. It wasn't something that I should be worried about. I'm thinking, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to build a bond with the adoptive parents of my daughter. And I'm hitting the brick wall. And I just couldn't, I, I just didn't know what, what I've done wrong. Why, why is it that 11 years down the line, I'm, I'm not getting anything more than what I was in the first place, especially having a marriage, two kids. It was, it's, it's something that's very difficult to, to take in. And to this day, it's still very t uh, difficult. So I've been in touch with the, the, the adopting, adoption agency, um, which is Adoption Counts. Um, and I listened to the podcast from Adoption Counts and some of the stuff that uh, was mentioned uh, in your podcast with them. Um, it's never been. It's never been like that. They haven't. They haven't taken an interest into the birth birth families. They. They are very. Um, adopt adoptive parents orientated. Hmm. Um, and they they are literally to me a one track mind and I, I just I just don't get why they can be in that like mindset of 
if a child had been taken into 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 care, that you're a bad person when not everybody is and everybody has a chance to change and they do change um in my case i i don't know what i needed to change um i'm i'm a father to two kids now so i don't know what i needed to change um but so i mean i guess my thoughts are that adoption counts not here to kind of and i guess they wouldn't feel comfortable sort of commenting on specific situations no. and circumstances um no. but i think you, it sort of highlights one of the issues that i always reflect on is that even with the best will in the world the practice of an agency such as adoption counts and there's, there's loads of different agencies is that it still hangs on the willingness of adoptive families to engage yeah. with that and also the you know when patterns are set a certain way it's really hard to break those patterns um and and I think uh, one thing I, re I do reflect on as well for adoptive parents is sometimes it can be really it can be really difficult to change how you perceive someone and to perceive birth families as you know and and, I, and again I, I'm reluctant to kind of comment or kind of apologize into to speak into your situation but I think sometimes yeah that um adoptive families and I recall from my, my own experience, I remember when my older children sort of reconnected with some of their birth family. And I remember a real anxiety that we kind of, we tried to keep suppressed as far as possible, thinking, am I going to lose this child that I've cared for for 15 years? Um, yeah. Now, I was able to contain that and let my children go. And they went and they've worked their own way out. And, but that, some people can't do that. Some people don't find that so easy. And I think reflecting on your experience, um, you've you've moved to a position now where you have stuck your head above the parapet, which is really, you know, as a birth dad, I think you're the only birth dad that I know or have heard speak out about their experience. Why did you do that? And what, what are you seeking to achieve um, with, you know, with the work that you're doing with PSA UK? I I was asked um, by uh, PAC UK um, back in uh, 2022 if I'll be quite happy to share my story. Now, it's been something that I've been keeping hold of for 10, 11 years. Yeah. That I've, I don't very, I very rarely speak to anybody about it. Um, because the last thing you want to be doing is getting judged because your your daughter's been taken into care and then adopted. Um, so it it was one of them that I wanted to get my mental health back on track. Um, but in twenty fourteen, stroke fifteen, I suffered a heart attack. Um at the age of 29 and it put me back a bit um, and I didn't have any support around me um, because when I reached out for the support uh, from the likes of Adoption UK about 
um, letterbox. I didn't get anything from them. It was only in uh, 2019 that I was introduced uh, to PAC UK. Um, but at that time, I was I was anxiety took over. Um, I had anxiety before even uh, coming on to uh, uh, tonight with yourself. Um, I sat here thinking, I'm just going to bolt in a minute. I'm going to go. Um, that that much anxiety that I logged on uh, a good an hour and a half before um, actually coming on to you. So um, it, it's one of them things that, yes, I suffer with mental health myself and I suffer with anxiety. So coming into contact with PAC UK back in 2019, um, it built my confidence that I wasn't the only one. There's not other people out there as well, uh, that, that there is other people out there, should I say, that are in a similar situation to me. They've lost the children to adoption. And and I decided that enough's enough now. My, my heart condition isn't the best, but I'm going to I'm going to go into this feet first and put myself out there. And leading up to leading up to some of the uh, meetings that we had um, before um, adoption week in 2022, um, I was attending. Um, these meetings in my hospital bed um, after suffering uh, quite severe angina attacks. So as soon as I did my recording with PAC UK for the adoption week, I knew from there that I needed to keep this going. Um, I had a trip to London uh, June last year as well, which was... Um, very interesting because um, I never thought in this in my lifetime that I would be going to the um, House of House of Lords, is it? Um, Parliament. So I went there to speak about about my experiences in front of yeah. a select few people, um, which they were quite intrigued by it. So with having that. And what I did in October at the um, the adoption week, I knew, like I said, I needed to take this further. I needed to do what I could possibly do to bring this adoption service into the 21st century. Um, and I've been... Working with PAC UK um, quite frequently, to be honest, um, I meet up with the groups every every month, and uh, I meet different birth parents. Uh, there's more birth dads um, coming to the to these groups um, to express their feelings of what's going going on in their lives and um, their experiences of the adoption. Um, which is, from what I've been told, is the most men that they've encountered in the Northwest. 
So I was quite happy with that, and I, I want to try and keep that going. But I've always stated that I'm not in this for my own gains. If anything happens between me and my daughter's adoptive parents, that contact goes further than what it already is. It's a big bonus. Um, I'm in it to change it for the future. Um, to make make sure that the the children that are being um, taken into the, the care system are being taken into the care system for the right reasons. And I don't personally think that all children that are in the care system at this moment in time need to be there. Um, my daughter at, in 20, 2010, she didn't need to be in the care system. She had perfectly good family members, myself, all capable of looking after her, but it was it was to social services the best interest of that child to come away from the family altogether. Um and I think it's hard for birth dads to come out and speak because we do get put in the same category as um some birth dads or partners in some cases yeah. uh, of domestic violence and stuff. And the first thing when the child gets taken away is that, have we done something? Are we, are we the problem? And because of the, the select few that are through domestic violence and domestic abuse and stuff, it then, hinders over other people um, including myself that you get judged straight away on who you are um, that that book cover never gets opened and they don't want to get to know you better um, so teaching the social services to actually um, like train them should I say not teach them train them uh, to actually take take the responsibility and look into every single angle first instead of thinking it's best to take this child into yeah. the care system because once that child's in that care system it's very very difficult to bring that child away from the care system until adoption and when that when that child's gone through to the adoption period and is place full-time they're not under the social services anymore they're not in the care system they're they're out of it and it's shocking because if at the end of the day if that child's been in the care system they should still be in that care system for a few years just to make sure that child is all right in that placement not just a few months a few years um so yeah i'm 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 here now. I'm going to put myself out there as much as possible. I, it might hinder my contact. I hope it doesn't. I hope it makes it a better contact, more bonding. But I want, I want to bring it out there that not everybody is the same person five, six, seven years later. Even if they have got drug addictions, alcohol, alcohol, like alcoholism. If I cannot really say it properly, 
Um, but they have that right to to change. If they want to change, they will change. So why is it that it's got to be right put out there that once the adoption has gone through, you can't be reviewed? I, I should really have a review now, or five years down the line, I should have had a review, um, especially having children and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I should have been reviewed just to think, actually, we could bring this contact forward. Yeah. But all I ever got was, it's not in the it's not in the court um, documents. It's not this. It's not that. So for me to come out and say all this is hoping to try and make them realise that for the the child's well being and to understand that their history of of birth parents can be a lot easier earlier on in in their life than when they turn 18. Yeah. Because you can you can help a child who isn't quite understanding. Um we haven't had contact with them since they were two to three years old. So 15, 16 years later, you're trying to help them get through all this and like their mental health is why they why why were they put up for adoption? Why wasn't we able to look after them? And it, it was it's really difficult. I'm not able to answer them questions. And that's going to be the, the most difficult thing um, when I do get a chance to meet her yeah. again, which I hope uh, is soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andy, I really appreciate you giving me your time. And um, sort of your experience has been... It, it sort of shines a light on across the whole process from, you know, social care involvement through, yeah. you know, assessment through court contact and beyond. So I really appreciate you giving me your time. Um, and it, you've been so honest in, in, in regard to all aspects of, you know, your experience. And, um, what we'll do is we'll put your Twitter handle on, um, in the podcast notes and we'll point people towards the recent PAC report as well. So people can, kind of get an idea of that. And I think there's a presentation as well, which I think you were at as well. And people can see your yeah. face there and see what you're doing. So thank you so much, Andy, for your time. And uh, I wish you well. And uh, in all the plans and hopes for the future. No, very welcome. I'm, I'm more than happy to do it any other time as well. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>